Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is Monday, May 18th. Market's pretty slow as I speak here at midday. The corn market's about unchanged. Uh, soybeans up a nickel or so. We've got the uh, wheat market just a little bit lower. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have not subscribed, uh, whatever podcast app that you use, whether it's Apple or Google, um, make sure you hop on there and subscribe so that you are alerted to uh, new episodes and when new content is posted. Uh, those are nice alerts to get. Um, I do that for for any podcast that I listen to. And uh, make sure you leave me a review. If you like the podcast, you have some positive feedback, I'd love to hear about it. If you have some criticism or uh you'd like to see something done differently, uh, let me know that too. I'm all about constructive criticism. I'm going to continue to uh, try to improve this podcast as time goes on, but uh, thank you. It's just one of those days where uh, I'm very, very tired, and I can't complain about it. I was fishing all weekend in Alabama, and I'm just starting to get my uh, my land legs back. They talk about sea legs when you're when you're on a boat and how you've got to kind of adjust. Um, but I was fishing this main lake stuff and it was real windy. We had the wind blowing at least every bit of 15 miles an hour. So the boat's rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth. And my legs are still kind of, still kind of wobbly trying to get back to, to reality here, but, uh, back at the computers, back at work here today. Um, I've got a kind of a laundry list of, of topics that I think are relevant to kick off the week. Um, you know, news has been, kind of slow I guess for the for the grain markets maybe more so the markets have been slow but I think that there are definitely some things worth talking about um, the first thing I want to discuss is the stock market and the stock market is phenomenally strong here as I speak today the Dow Jones is up 900 points the uh, s p is up about a hundred points which is a three and a half percent move and I know that during this um, during this kind of environment throughout the virus, these these moves of you know one, two, three percentage points in a day, they're not totally unprecedented by any means. But uh, at the same time, this is still pretty impressive. The S and P is not far from its recent high, which was back at the end of April. And if you get back above that, um, you've probably got a shot at at. I, I would venture to say you've got a shot at the all-time highs from back in February, which is crazy to think when you consider the implications of this virus. I mean, you've got an effective unemployment rate that's probably 20 or 25 percent. Um, you've got these jobless claims that are just through the roof. They've exceeded any previous record by such an enormous margin for several consecutive weeks now, yet the stock market continues to make new highs. There's a couple of, of positive items there, and, and this all relates back to the ag markets, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but um, there's there's news of a possible vaccine, There's and this is there's more than one company working on this. It's like every pharmaceutical company is working on this, but w- one company in particular had a uh, a trial. I think they had 47 different people and the the product that they tested showed to um, essentially 
uh, add antibodies for this virus in every single case. So that's encouraging, and, and we don't get a vaccine overnight, but uh, it's it's seen as encouraging. Um, some of the stuff from the Fed is seen as being positive, and, and you know, people always say you don't want to fight the Fed, and, and this is maybe an example of that. Um, the House put this, this big $3 trillion package uh, through. It's going to be rejected in the Senate, I think, in all likelihood. Um, keep in mind with the stock market, when you were trading the S&P 500 or the Dow or you're watching those indices and you're hearing about them on the news, you're not trading the mom and pop store down the street. You're not trading local retail. You are trading the business, the biggest businesses in the country that uh, will work around this thing or have the ability to work around this thing a lot more effectively than a small business can. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's a good thing necessarily. I, I It's really a shame and really a travesty what's happened to uh, a lot of small businesses in this country. But um, when you're looking at the S&P 500, you're looking at the Dow Jones, you're looking at the NASDAQ, you're not looking at, at local businesses. And there's a disparity there. And, and you look at, at how local economies have shut down and how they've hurt small business. That has nothing to do with the S&P 500. It, it, it really doesn't. Uh, not not right now. Now, you could make the argument that, oh, well, you know, all these people are being laid off and, and therefore they're going to spend less at these big companies. And, and I get I understand that. But uh, they're they're two different sets of, of businesses. But uh, you can make the argument. You can make the argument that this rally is all smoke and mirrors and it has to go away. And, and eventually we work back lower. I don't really know. A lot of it depends on um, is there a recovery? How quick does it happen? Is there a second wave of the virus? Uh, we've heard that kind of talk. There's still a lot of unknowns here. But for the moment, uh, stock market acting very, very well. Uh, along those same lines, the crude oil market acting phenomenally well. To put this in perspective, it was about a month ago when the April crude oil contract expired that we traded uh, the futures into negative territory. And at that time, the June contract, which expires tomorrow, it bottomed at $6.5 a barrel. That same June contract, which expires tomorrow, trading $33 a barrel this morning. So we've seen a tremendous recovery there. Part of that has to do with output cuts. Part of it has to do with demand increases. If you look at, at uh, gasoline offtake here in the United States, essentially weekly demand for gasoline, it has increased 46% from where it bottomed um, in early April. And we may see even greater increases. Now, we're not quite back to pre-virus levels, not quite back there in, in terms of, of gasoline demand. People are still driving less. There's no doubt about it. But we've seen a, a very significant surge in, in gasoline offtake, and, and that's a positive. You've seen all the other energies kind of follow suit here. Uh, heating oil, um, Arbob unleaded, uh, natural gas, a lot of these markets trading uh, well removed from from their recent lows. And I've got to say that overall, that's a positive. And my next point here is related, which is ethanol. And if we're using a lot more gasoline than, than we were, or, or where we were at the bottom, at least, that means that you've got more ethanol demand. And, and we've seen that ethanol stocks have dropped uh, pretty significantly here for, I think, three consecutive weeks now. So we're, we're to the point now where ethanol demand or usage uh, on a weekly basis is actually outpacing ethanol production. Now we've seen a small uptick in production the last couple of weeks. I think that that probably increases. I think you're going to see some much better numbers here the next few weeks. Uh, margins are better. You're hearing stories of some plants uh, reopening or increasing capacity uh, for, for uh, ethanol production. You've got really cheap corn still. Your input's cheap. Your ethanol prices have come up. So 
Uh, I know that the the uh, president of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, he was quoted in the media as saying that the, the worst of this is behind us. Um, I, I think there will be a recovery just like there has been in gasoline. It's just a question of how big is the recovery how quickly does it happen, which is very, very important, and um, what does it do for corn demand it, at the end of the day? So ethanol, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, I, th- I think most people would probably agree. I, th- I still think that that's our biggest problem for the corn market right now, and I know that's old news, and you've heard me say that a thousand times, but if we can start to move back in the right direction um, with ethanol, you could have yourself a much better looking story in the corn market um, because... Uh, we've got very strong demand elsewhere. Exports have been fantastic. Um, we're, we're very competitive on the export market. We've sold corn to China. We had a, a great-looking uh, export sales report last week, great-looking inspections this morning. Um, feed demand has, has got to be up, and that's much more difficult to gauge. You don't get a weekly report on feed demand like you do for, say, exports or ethanol. But there's uh, less DDGs out there. We know that. You know, there's a lot of livestock out there, so I would I would venture to say that feed demand is good, and, and USDA kind of told us that in in their report uh, last week. I'll talk about the report in a minute, but I mean, c- demand for corn feed and and exports has been very very good, and you're starting to see ethanol turn a corner, and that's really what we need to see if we're to dig ourselves out of this hole. And and these prices are still really really ugly. I mean, December corn at three thirty when you still don't have the whole crop planted. And you've still got a whole growing season of weather in front of you. I mean that you you go back the last 10, 15 years. That's that's pretty cheap, pretty pretty cheap. Um, sold some soybeans to China last week. That's a positive seven hundred and thirty thousand uh, metric tons total last week. That's about twenty seven million bushels. Is that enough to uh, fix all of this bean market's problems? No, it's not. But twenty-seven million—it's a good chunk of change. And if we could see continued purchases there, uh, that would be a big, big, big positive. So that's uh, that's exactly what we'd like to see. Now there was a um, a story uh, in Reuters this morning, and I think in some of the other news outlets, uh, talking about the Chinese government. And the Chinese government is apparently concerned uh, about a second wave of of the coronavirus. And they have told uh, trading firms and uh, food companies, those sort of sorts of companies in China, to stock up on grains and oil seeds because they are concerned that there could be a shortage. There was even some talk. Uh, one of the sources mentioned uh, the potential for issues uh, in shipping soybeans out of South America, which would be a big, big, big deal if if you ran into some significant problems there. There were there was talk about. Uh, logistics issues out of South America several weeks ago, and, and they never really turned into a whole lot. They've been shipping beans out of Brazil at a, at a breakneck pace as of late, but uh, that's that's a potential positive as well. Um, so the soybeans, you know, we we have some better demand from China. We need to see be- uh, increases in that. We need to see that improve. Uh, we had a really good crush number last week, and that's been a constant really since the onset of the trade war. And I've I've said this before and talked about this before, but your your demand base for soybeans out of the U.S. is essentially twofold. It's exports and it's it's uh, domestic crush, and it's about 50-50, and then you've got some stuff in the middle, your residual use, your you know, that sort of stuff. But um, uh, the domestic processor has been crushing a ton of beans, and exports has been where the struggle is. And uh, if we can get exports back to a normal-ish 
normal-ish. It doesn't have to be back to 2016, 2017 levels, but a, a normal-ish type deal where China's buying beans regularly for new crop delivery. That's what we hope for. Uh, that could be a, a game changer, certainly. And we hope that a lot of that is for the new crop marketing year. Um, I could certainly make the argument that that beans, especially new crop, are underpriced here, given the situation, especially if China's going to come back in for more beans. But we'll see. I mean, I, uh, I, I th- this trade deal is, has always been a wait and see thing. It's always like the just you're just waiting for the next headline, whether it be good or bad. And we're still in that environment. This thing's been going on for almost two years. And, and it's it's you're still in that environment where you're waiting on the next headline. You're waiting on the next comment. You're waiting to see what Trump says. You're waiting to see what China says. But at least we're seeing some purchases. And that's a positive. A lot of talk about this USDA report. Um, the 3.3 billion bushel corn carry out, um, the, the, all the, the demand cuts and the big acreage and the record crop. Um, here's what you got to remember about that. The, the new crop balance sheets, that's where you saw the 3.3 billion bushel corn carry out. And, and just to put it in perspective, at the end of this year, USDA is projecting 2 billion or 2.1. They're talking 3.3 billion for next year. What they are trying to project with that 3.3 billion is the amount of corn that will be left over in the U.S. on August 31st of 2021. So they are projecting this thing out more than a year. There is a lot that can happen in that time frame. They're not only trying to project demand uh, in that time frame from September 1st of this year through the end of August next year. They are also attempting to predict what this year's crop will be. Uh, Both of those things are incredibly difficult tasks. And uh, USDA does not have an easy job, but they do need to start somewhere. And that is where they've started. Now, most people, I think, I think most people, not everybody, but most people would probably argue that the corn acreage number comes down from that 97 million. Um, some people would argue that the demand numbers could, will change and they will change. It's a, it's a moving target, no doubt about it. So that 3.3 billion is just, it's a projection. It's a guess. It's, uh, it's an educated guess at, at the very best. It's not set in stone. I know that it made headlines because it was such a big number and it, it garnered a lot of attention a lot of talking points, a lot of things in the media. Um, but keep in mind, it's it's just a projection. We've seen hugely ugly projections from USDA in the past, and, and they end up being totally different at the end of the day. I mean, a crop problem this summer, better demand, uh, return to a functioning economy, all that could change that situation really, really quickly. So I just, I don't want to say necessarily take it with a grain of salt, but it's pretty close to that because um, nobody can predict the yield this year. Nobody knows what the acres are for sure. Nobody knows, especially what demand's going to be a year out, uh, more than a year out. It's, it's, I mean, you see what's, what's happened just in the last three or four months with demand for corn. Uh, it could go right back the other way, uh, just as fast, or it could get worse just as fast. So many things are, there's so many variables here. It's always a moving target with these new crop balance sheets when you're trying to project things so far out into the distance. So I, I don't think you need to necessarily be ultra bearish the corn market because of that 3.3 billion bushel projection. It was already priced into the market. People knew that that number was coming and we got it. We didn't sell off on the news, which is a positive. I'm happy about that. And uh, now we're going to move on to other things. And what are the other things? What's the next, what's the next big thing? The next big thing is weather and production potential. Um, what sort of yields are possible? What are the acreage numbers? What can we put on the supply side of, of, of the balance sheets? 
for uh, this this 2020, 2021 marketing year? That's that's really the next big question. So, I mean, just like we always do around this time of year, we're going to start looking at weather forecasts a lot more closely. And and for me, it's it's really not the, anything more than two weeks out. You're just you're just guessing at, at anything beyond that. Um, it, in my opinion, it's it's just like trying to predict prices. There's not anybody who can who can really do that. Um, I don't believe that there's anybody who can really predict the weather more than a couple of weeks out with any with any accuracy or say consistency. I mean, you may you may get weather forecasters who get it right, but there will be other years or other times of year where they get it wrong. So I just I don't think that that you can take that stuff seriously. The long term weather projections. I don't think the trade takes them seriously. I think the trade uh, is very much of the. Um, just following markets and observing markets for so many years now, I don't think the market trades anything more than a couple of weeks out. I really don't. Um, but uh, in any case, I mean, weather production potential. And then, of course, um, this all goes back to my first talking point, which is the economy. How fast can this thing recover? How fast can people start driving again at, at the rate that they were prior to this thing? Um, how fast does this recovery happen? When does it happen? Uh, what does it do for ethanol? Uh, what does it do for livestock? What does it do for so many things? It, it impacts every market out there. And that's still, I mean, at the end of the day, when I go through this list of all these things that I just talked about, it all comes back to that. I mean, when does the economy recover? When do we get, in our instance, you know, if we're corn growers, soybean growers, uh, when does the ethanol thing come back? And and that is is a big, big, big deal for us. So, I mean, that's really, it's in, in some ways, it's a, it's a normal year in that we're going to watch weather production, potential demand. But in other ways, this ethanol thing is such a wild card. And, and the fluctuation in, in ethanol production and demand for corn via ethanol is, is like un, any, it's unlike any other fluctuation that we've seen. So that's what you got to keep an eye on. I mean, of course, what's, what's the state of the economy? When does everybody reopen? But then the normal stuff also, your weather, your production potential, uh, demand side of the balance sheets all that good stuff. Thanks for listening today. I hope to be back uh, with a weekly wrap up later in the week. Um, If you do need some help with your grain marketing, make sure you go to my website, go to standardgrain.com, check out um, my subscription service. If you go on that website, click on grain marketing plan and uh, 49 bucks a month gets you on my morning email. I send that out religiously at 630 a.m. Central Time, and uh, that's got kind of a, a recap of the overnight headlines, any new grain marketing recommendations, whether it be flat price sales, um, spread decisions, you know, when to roll an HTA, that sort of stuff. It's all included in there. There's also a text message service that uh, accompanies that, and uh, you get it for 49 bucks a month. You can cancel it at any time. It's billed to your credit card automatically. You sign up once, and uh, then it's you don't have to write me checks or send me money or anything. It just bills you automatically. And and again, you can cancel it at any time. And don't think that you have to be a futures or options trader to sign up for this thing. Uh, You can sign up and and follow what I'm doing simply on the cash side and and just get the emails and the text message service. I'm not going to try to sell you anything in addition to that. So um, check that out if, if you're seeking some improvement this year. I've talked before in the past about how every year you should be seeking to improve your grain marketing. I know you guys are always seeking better yields and more efficient uh, practices when it comes to production. You should be doing the same with your marketing. You should be seeking to improve your marketing every year. Remember that there is there is no perfect grain marketer. Um, nobody is, is the best at this 
this thing. There's no such thing. There's no master of this. It's just you have to continually seek to get better, seek to learn things, and uh, hope that you can be better than last year. Everyone have a great week. Um, I'll be back tomorrow, or I'll be back with my morning update tomorrow, and uh, hopefully talk to you with a longer form episode later in the week.